Welcome to another episode of the All of Life Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Claiborne. And today, for the second week in a row, I'm here with pastoral resident Ryan Garich. How are we doing, Ryan? Good to be with you, Nate. I told you it wasn't going to be very long. I know. So you must have some kind of gift of prophecy. Mm-hmm. I can't remember your scores on our spiritual gifts assessment. But it, well, I, I'm not a prophet, but we, um, I, maybe I have to retake the test. I, don't know. I was going to say, you could have the gift, but maybe not hold the office. Okay. Or something okay. something like that. That's probably what Maybe it, it was spiritual perception, word of knowledge, mm-hmm. something, something like that just kind of came to you. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm going to go back and retake. Okay. Yeah. I'll we'll, let you know. We'll report on it whenever we do another one. But So last week we talked about question five. Today we're talking about question six, which is how can we glorify God? Uh, the long answer is we glorify God by enjoying Him, loving Him, trusting Him, and by obeying His will, commands, and law. Then the short answer is by loving Him and by obeying His commands and law. So, Ryan, as we're thinking about this question, what what's a theological lesson or what's kind of the theology of this question and answer on the catechism? Well, um, I think, you know, when I hear by loving him and obeying his commands and law, first, first thing that comes to mind is that in Christ we can do those things, mm-hmm. which I think is important. Um, there's a posture we can take as Christians— um, it's kind of like an Isaiah 64 posture, okay. which is everything that we do is like filthy rags. Right. Okay. And we tend to carry that with us even in our as a new creation in Christ. And so we think um, – and it's actually kind of reformedish too uh, in some ways. It's like, mm. hey, you can't do anything to, to please God. And um, I'm not saying that's how the reformed faith expresses works and in, in the law. And yeah, um, there's but, at least a stereotype or a caricature of reformed theology being very dour and very like, yeah, you know, you must reckon with how much of a sinner you are, and so much so God can never take any delight or joy in anything you ever do right. because it's just yeah. your own righteousness, and that's not important. That's right. So we don't want to dwell there, though, because Jesus doesn't have us dwell there. He's, he makes us something new uh, mm-hmm. when His Spirit indwells in us. Yeah. We can actually do things now that please the Father. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean that we're earning something salvifically, but it does mean that something new has started. And um, even that new creation isn't just an end time reality for us or mm-hmm. for our kids. It's a here and now. There's real change that's happening. Yeah. Um, and we get to... We actually get to do things that please God. Yeah. And we can even, I think this might be a good place to even throw in a diagnostic. I, I hate to use that word, but as we're thinking about pleasing God, glorifying God, we could ask the listeners, imagine you're telling God about something you've done. Just like you're, so you're, you're going through like how you helped someone or what you, uh, something you think that was a good work or something like that. Now imagine, as, as you're imagining that scenario, what's the look on his face? Does he seem annoyed? Like, oh my gosh, this this person again. Does he seem, is he smiling? Is he frowning? Is he checking his phone, you know, metaphorically yeah. speaking? Because he's like, what, you know, what is this going to be done? I think whatever we imagine God looking like in a scenario like that gives us an idea of how we're understanding whether or not we can please God. Mm, that's helpful. Yeah, and even as a father, I think about what what do my children want to hear from me as their father when they've done something that's mm-hmm. that's good, that yeah, ought to be celebrated. Um, and I'm sure I don't reflect God uh, in all the ways I should <laughs> when they come to me with those questions. But 
I think your point's well taken is that God delights in in hearing what we do in yeah. his in his name and his son's name. Yeah. It's like you should picture him smiling at you. And I don't think for most I could even speak for me as I don't think that's our natural inclination is like God is delighted to hear from you. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, there's probably more we could unpack there as to why, but it's mm-hmm. at least worth posing the question to our listeners is, is how do you, I think it's a great diagnostic. How do you perceive or understand or what, what comes to mind when you think about God in yourself and the things that you do, mm-hmm. um, the good things that you do and the bad things, I suppose. That yeah. I was going to say, you can take well. it that way too. Is he, does he, you know, is he enraged when you bring, yeah, God, I messed up again, Yeah, you know? Yeah, someone had a helpful um, image once that they shared of like, uh, how do you, do you think of God as this angry, like the father as the angry person standing behind the son, just like waiting for you to mess up so that he can move Jesus aside and point Mm -hmm. the finger at at you and be like, I knew it. It was just about to happen. Right. Um, Jesus is the cool older brother that's like, no, no, he can come. He can come with us. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So true. My kids do that. They're uh, oftentimes they try to mitigate the, the wrong that one or the other does so that uh-huh. we can go somewhere and they yeah. don't have to sit out on it. Um, well, I, I think a helpful place is to turn again because we're we're in the Beatitudes right now, and mm-hmm. um, which is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and so much of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus unpacking portions of the law, saying, you have heard it said that, dot, dot, dot. And he's, uh, of course, talking about the Pharisaical interpretation of the law. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he goes on to say, but I say... Yeah, And so we can read through all these things like anger and lust, divorce, um, retaliation, loving your enemies, uh, giving even, and think, wow, Jesus is really like turning the dial up. And I thought he was supposed to come with grace and peace, and this seems even more challenging than it did yeah. in the Old Testament. But I think what's really helpful um, is if you find yourself there in Matthew 5 and, and 6, um, in Matthew five seventeen to 20, what Jesus says before he says anything expounds at all on the law is that I've come to fulfill the law, which should immediately put our guard down, which means, okay, what he's about to ask of us, he's already done for us. Mm. I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, verse 19, 519 says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in heaven. And then he says, whoever does these will be called the greatest. But notice he says, whoever relaxes or doesn't do these, he doesn't say they're out. And those who do them are in. Mm -hmm. What Jesus says is, if you are in me, you are in. Whether you're doing this perfectly or imperfectly, if your faith is in me, the one who has fulfilled this law, you're in. Which I think is so good to hear because that means we no longer pursue the law as a matter of life and death. We now pursue it as a matter of love. It's an expression of our love for God because of what Christ has done for us. Yeah, yeah, and no, I think that's that's a that's a helpful way of reframing reframing things there, so that it's not the default way that we might think of and experience it. So, as as you're as we're thinking, maybe in leaning into the next question from here. Um, how does this make us a counterculture for the common good, or how is this way of thinking about engaging God. I mean, I, I think even thinking about glorifying God is already countercultural on its own because mm-hmm. that's not something our neighbors and our communities are even thinking about. They're thinking about glorifying. I I don't, I feel bad saying people just want to glorify themselves. 
But it does seem like that's sort of the alternative. You're either glorifying God or yourself or mm-hmm. some other. You're glorifying something. Yeah. The irony is that in glorifying God, he actually gives us glory too. Mm. So, um, but to your question about how is this countercultural, I I do think I think you're right. I think it's the selflessness of it all. It's it's pursuing something for someone else, um, which is it sounds so simple, but I think our default is to pursue things for ourselves to mm. accumulate or to um, keep our own sort yeah. of. Whereas God's saying, if you follow me and follow me in the way that I'm asking you to, it's going to lead to a type of flourishing that's actually going to benefit your neighbor as well. So it's not it's not yeah. just a personal benefit, but it's for the benefit of our neighbor. And that in and of itself is countercultural because, um, you know, our last podcast, we talked about the world. Mm-hmm. I don't want to really name the world as a quick and easy way to say, like, uh, to, to refer to something bad. But yeah. <clears throat> the ways in which our culture is misdirected and the people in our cultural or our culture who are not following Jesus are misdirected, we're actually able to do something for them that they're unable to do for themselves mm-hmm. as we pursue the law of God. And so they're even like side beneficiaries of the love of God as we pursue the law of God. Yeah. Um, which is countercultural because we're loving them. Um, and we're not looking out for our own welfare necessarily. Uh, we're able to deny ourselves in order that those around us might might flourish. Yeah, and it, it, it's not just countercultural in that sense; it's counterintuitive. Counterintuitive. It, it goes That's against what it. you would think. You would think like, oh, I need to look out for myself, and I need to put myself first, or nobody else is going to do it. And instead, it's like, well, if you glorify God, that's a way of, we could say, putting God first. Mm -hmm. It actually benefits you and your neighbors, as opposed to if you're just doing things for yourself, it's, you may not even get what you're trying to get for yourself. And it's definitely not benefiting your broader community either. It's a great way to witness too, because our neighbors could look at us, let's say we're doing something, moving toward them in some way in love and be suspicious of it and say, okay, well, what are you trying to get out of this? Mm -hmm. But because we're pursuing it out of love for God um, and what he's done for us, immediately our answer can be with confidence, well, we're not trying to get something out of it. We're moving, I'm moving towards you because God's moved towards me. And I'm trying to be faithful in this area that he's called me to, yeah. which now involves loving you in this way. Right. There is no it, ulterior motive is maybe the language we get, we use sometimes. It's like, yeah, it looks like I'm trying to help you, but really I'm trying to get this thing from you. And since that's sort of the dominant way the world thinks, we want to use the world in that sense. Mm-hmm. That's just, it's actually a reasonable assumption on other people's part that you wouldn't just be doing things out of the goodness of your heart. Although we would say out of the, you're trying to pass on the grace that you've received. Right. Yeah. I think about my children too. One question I, I would have, and I'm actually, as someone on this podcast who's supposed to be helpful. I'm, I actually have a question that I'm not sure I can answer, but <laughs> how can how can we with our children um, seek to show them what it means to obey and at the same time give them a healthy dose of grace along the way? Yeah. That's a constant battle I have as a parent. Um, yeah, and it, that's a, you know, it's someone that, speaking of someone that doesn't have kids, it's not something I think about as much, but when I was a teacher, that was something that was a dominant thing is how do I, 
how do I have rules and expectations, but also be kind and gracious? And it's almost like if you don't, if you don't ever enforce the rules, there's no way to be gracious because mm-hmm. then you're always, it's always punishment. Yeah. Assuming pe- that people are not following the rules. Yeah. There's this suspicion that I have as a parent that if I give my child grace here, it's going to do undo everything that, uh, give them an inch, they'll take a mile. Right. Right. Um, so I'm still working through that as a parent, I guess is what I'm saying. But yeah. and, and also noting that grace is good and we need to take our medicine of grace. Um, yeah. Well, and, let's, yeah. let's even say this. So I, I don't, I'm not opposed to doing this either of saying on a podcast, like, yeah, we're talking about things. We're trying to clarify things, but we have our own like, well, yeah, what about this? If you're a listener and you have some thoughts or reflections on that, just send us, we, we've tried to open up this email as a way for people to be interactive with this so that we're not just it's not just me and you talking and we don't know what people are saying, but shoot us an email podcast at newcityorlando.com. Just if you've got experience with how do I balance wanting obedience and showing grace, um, that could be really helpful for us because it could be something we talk about on the podcast. It could be even something you come on the podcast and talk about. Mm. I, we don't often have calls for podcast guests in the middle of a podcast, but I'd love to hear that. I yeah. know that, um, we have many families uh, at New City, and we have uh, many singles and college students and, and older singles who are also wise in this area, even uh, outside of relationships and children that I would absolutely love to hear and learn from. So, um, yeah, yeah, tell us what it's like to give grace and at the same time <laughs> uh, love rules. That's right. Holding those things in tension. Even that maybe is an answer to how is this countercultural is. I think our culture wants one or the other, either Mm. it's all permission or it's all punishment. Right. Um, I think about a Keller's book. Um, I say that and then pause and you're like, Oh, which one is like, but but his book on forgiveness where he talks about how culture doesn't understand how to deal with forgiveness because Christians on the one hand, Christians can do cheap grace where it's like someone, someone apologizes and you're just like, Oh, that's okay. It's no big deal. It's like, but if it's no big deal, then you don't need to, apologize for it kind of it is a big deal that's why they're apologizing Mm -hmm. and in broader culture uh they don't know how to offer forgiveness and so it's just cancel like you do something wrong you're just canceled you can't you can't speak in this place anymore and so it's like the christian path is actually you have to acknowledge the gravity of the debt in order to then offer forgiveness Mm -hmm. and it's it it is doing both and it's like you can't really offer the grace of forgiveness if you can't also acknowledge a rule has been violated, a sin has been committed, a wrong has been done. And holding, being able to hold both of those things at the same time is kind of what the gospel is calling us yeah. to. In other words, it sounds like there's a type of love that we can actually experience without acknowledging the law. Mm-hmm. Um, this also sounds like, I don't know much about, thir- I hear a lot about third way. I don't know a lot about it. This sounds like a third way. Yeah, it's a, it's a Keller distinctive. It's like, it's okay. well, it's this and that. But actually, if you go in between the two, that's the right way. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, we're kind of, we ribbon on it. But it's, that is, there is something to that. It's culture, the broader culture pulls us in one direction. A distorted understanding of our own theological position pulls us in a different direction. And the truth is both sides are sort of true, but not the whole truth. Mm-hmm. Well, I would just, as a way of closing, encourage our listeners to, um, as like, put on this filter um, or these glasses, if you will, as you're reading, even going through the McShane Bible reading, you'll see it all over the place in Mark, which we're in right now. Mm-hmm. But this idea of hearing and obeying or being and doing, or as we, um, two weeks ago now, uh, 
uh, went through Philippians 4, Paul calls it thinking and practicing. It's yeah. being with God and then doing with God. Yeah, it's a You'll bo- see it all over Scripture. It's, it's not something that's not there that we're trying to make a thing. Mm-hmm. Jesus makes it a thing. I like the idea. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about you said put these glasses on as we're both sitting here wearing glasses. But yeah. it really is a like once you, once you have that lens to look through, you see it kind of pop off the page everywhere. Yep. Yeah. So. Jesus says in uh, Matthew 7, maybe we'll close with this, but everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Yeah. Hear and do. It's not one, one or the other. Well, Ryan, it's been a great talking with you two weeks in a row now about these new city catechism questions, and I'll look forward to whenever we